0: One Dental Clinic, sponsors of Women Today, offer convenient appointment times in the heart of Douglas, so you can fit your dental care into your working day.
1: Faster, my good afternoon. It's just gone six minutes past two. I'm Christy DeHaven, and today we're back on the Conister Rock, where we spend an hour sharing music and memories with some of our best-loved island personalities. And I'm joined on the Rock today by our second husband and wife team, two people who've played a major part in contributing to the creative heart of the island by building one of the most successful events in the cultural calendar. Manx Lit Fest is almost upon us again, But somehow, John and Emma Quirk have managed to find the time to come and share their own story with us this afternoon. Welcome to the studio. Hello, Christy. It's lovely to have you both with us. Um, I should say, before we go any further, and thanks to to Alex for for pointing this one out, yesterday was, of course, Roald Dahl Day, and uh, we did have a little sort of celebration of him on Women Today. Uh, You have a children's author coming this year who's won a Roald Dahl Prize.
2: Philip Ardar, yes, we do. How
1: exciting. Yeah. He's, and it's for being funny <laughs> it,
2: it, <laughs> we, we are reliably informed that Philip is very very funny <laughs> yeah. and very very tall as well
1: tall and funny oh well you can see he's perfect yeah. for old Dahl then you know yeah. that all and fits. he has a
2: huge beard as well which again, which I think just adds to it
1: imagery yeah, yeah. all good well we'll come more to the people who you've got coming over for Litfest a little bit later on um, how is it going though like I said you have taken time out this must be pretty much your craziest time of year
2: Yeah, it is, yeah. I think the last couple of weeks, getting the programme finished and getting it away to the printers is is the, at least it's my most manic time. Um, Now that's gone and the programmes are out and about, um, it eases off a little bit, but it's still full on as, you know, as you know, it's it's all go.
1: And Emma, the amount of events you've got this year, it seems to be growing exponentially year on year. I mean, I looked at that list when you first published that programme and thought, how on earth do they get all this together?
3: Ah, uh, sheer luck, I think, <laughs> is the answer. There are a lot of, of public events on, um, and as well as the public events, we've got sort of twenty-eight schools visits as well. So there's there's a lot going on. But our authors are very willing, and don't seem to say no to any of our suggestions.
2: <laughs> we do work them quite hard when they come across, you know.
1: And the volunteers as well, who you know work yeah. their socks off for you, don't they? How how many tr- people have you got in your tribe of volunteers now? volunteer 20 20 odd
3: yeah there's a lot of volunteers um more more and more every year which
1: is good
2: yeah i think some will do certain years and then maybe if they're away the following year but they'll come back the year after that so it it sort of fluctuates a bit but i think it's around about sort of 20.
1: do you have to be a book lover to be a volunteer at LitFest? no
2: no i think it helps but you don't have to be
3: (laughs) (laughs) not at all you can um our volunteers do get some free tickets to some of the events as well. So some of our volunteers are maybe only holiday readers. We have a lot of them and that's that's perfectly fine. Um, so you don't have to be an avid reader but you have to like stories and it doesn't matter if they're told by film or audiobooks or you know just sitting down the pub with your friends. As long as you like stories, that's fine.
1: Because actually that, that's always been a key element of, of Litfest is storytelling, hasn't it? And it's something that you've, you sort of introduce in interesting ways each year because you have a, the storytelling aspect, don't you?
2: Yeah, we, we had Ben Haggerty who's coming across this year. He came across to the first two festivals and was a big hit. And I think f- from then on, we've sort of realised the, the power of storytelling, not just books and not just poetry, but story. And um, we're really glad to have him back this year. He's doing Frankenstein for us. Um, I can't wait it's uh
3: i'm looking forward to having ben back
2: yeah oh go on you tell the story
3: <laughs> so ben um <laughs> ben was really hungry last time he was over and there was nowhere open when he finished so uh i just took him back to our house we had a lovely candlelit dinner and then um had to drive him back to his hotel after dinner and uh john came home and there were candles lit two candles <gasps> two sort of gla- glasses of wine obviously mine was water but it was still in a wine glass and john didn't have a clue where i'd gone with ben <laughs> so i'm looking forward to having ben back can i
2: just add that ben is sort of what six foot three strapping man you know? rather lovely yeah quite intimidating and um yeah
1: Sounds like you have to be tall to be a guest at, at Lit Fest. So. <laughs> Taller than John. Well,
2: oh, that's not hard, is it? <laughs> Let's face it.
1: Do you know, it, what is fantastic about you two is that despite the fact that you were organising one of the biggest events in the calendar over here, you you managed to keep smiles on your faces the entire way through. How do, how do you two get on at this time? Because being a <laughs> husband and wife team, it must pose certain challenges. Um, Well, we we do have a bet going as
3: to how many arguments we'll have every year during the festival. But we do make sure that the Monday after the festival, we don't work. We do like a mop-up day, but we go out for breakfast. Normally to Peel Kiosk for a bacon bap with the dog. dog. And then go... Okay, we do still kind of like each other, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then we're fine. So we haven't had our first no. Lit Fest fight yet No, they're not, they're not
2: this really year. arguments anyway, are they? They're minor disagreements.
1: <laughs> yeah, normally about who's forgotten the children. <laughs>
2: <laughs> usually, usually me. Yeah. Now,
1: and they are old enough now, really, to sort of play a bit of a part in what goes on. How how involved do they get? Really involved. Yeah.
3: Um, I mean, we you know, we're not child labour. You know, they're not working that way, but... <laughs> They they they're proud of the festival. Um, they like to be involved. Uh, Gypsy May will be bringing some of her friends to some of the events as her guests. We do, we are paying for their tickets, yes, but we... they are coming as guests. Ryan will be at our family day, probably as Mister Wolf playing a big game of What's the Time, Mister Wolf. So they do get involved. Um, and we have to have their consent to do the festival because it does take so much time.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it impacts quite a lot on our family time for that for particularly that week but also for the two or three weeks running up to it which coincides with the start of the school term which is never easy, you know.
1: Yeah, I can imagine. And, and the, yeah. the family element and the educational element as you mentioned before as well has always been key, hasn't it? It, it? Is is there a specific reason behind that? Um yeah, families should enjoy stories.
3: It and again it doesn't matter if you If you can't read to your children at bedtime, that's fine, we're all busy, we don't always have time. But you should always enjoy a story with your children. Um, And whether that is jokes around the dinner table or in the car, and some of John's jokes are the longest ever told, (laughs) um, or coming out to our family day and having a stomp through muddy puddles and maybe learning in a fun way about how stories and how you can play games with stories. Um, it means a lot. It's it's, it's really imp- it's really important to me. Anyway, yeah. seeing families come and enjoy stories in a different way.
1: And do you think that that kids still, when you go into to schools, because it's not just authors you bring, you bring poets in as well, don't you? Do you think kids still appreciate books enough?
2: I I think so. Yeah. Um, the the I, well, I've been around a few of the school days, and we, we get to sort of try and visit as many of the school visits as possible. I um, don't get to as many as I want to but when I do uh, I've been into both primary schools and secondary schools and I've seen the way the authors interact with the children and and the sometimes it's the surprise on the kids faces we, we took a poet uh, Mark Grist and um, who was fabulous he came across the 2014 festival and I took him down to Castle Russian High School and it was a huge big hall there was been sort of you know three or four rows of, of kids teenagers probably sort of you know anywhere 15 up to 16, 17. And a lot of them were young lads. And I sort of looked at the, the audience and I thought, this this could be a hard gig for you, um, Mark. And he came out and he was hilarious. And he had the meeting out of the palm of his hand within two or three minutes. And they loved him. We've got a photograph that's on a cover picture and on Twitter. And it's of him laughing. And the, all the kids are just in hysterics of them. And they're just in awe of him. And that made me realise that's exactly why we do Litfest Fest, to try and inspire younger people to read more to write more and to get involved with story we did
3: we did have someone contact us as well after the mark grist visits and their child had gone to world book day or world heroes day dressed as mark grist (laughs) which (laughs) is pretty cool i mean that
1: kind of impact is good and i take it you've, you've fed this mac to mark himself yeah yeah Oh, he must have been so pleased. He is, I have to say, one of the coolest poets I think I've ever met. He is brilliant, it, Margaret, and a teacher himself as well, isn't he? So, a uh, lovely fella. Uh, you, you mentioned before stories, obviously, all linked into music and film as well. And this leads us quite nicely into our first <laughs> choice of music, John, doesn't it?
2: It does, yeah. I, I was a, As a kid, I was loved the um, uh, Spaghetti Weston's Clint Eastwood and Sergio Leone. And the music to it, Ennio Morricone. And my favourite um, is Ecstasy of Gold from The Good, The Bad and the Ugly. Emma calls it my washing up music, <laughs> which it is. But it's also one of the, probably my favourite bit of film music I've ever heard.
1: I don't think anyone has really surpassed Ennio Morricone for no. creating an emotional response to a, a piece of a film. So here it is, Ecstasy of Gold, the first choice of music from John and Emma Quirk today. I feel like I'm actually out on the plains somewhere, horses around, cowboys everywhere. Uh, It's just so evocative. Ecstasy of gold um, from The Good, The Bad and The Ugly, and that is the first choice of music from John Quirk. We have both John and Emma with us this afternoon. Apologies to the John Quirk I tagged on Facebook that was not you, apparently, John. (laughs) (laughs) But maybe he'll be listening now. He might be, yeah. Yeah, I have untagged him. Um, Talking about being film fans, Emma, I have to ask you, giant creatures in movies you've got a bit of a thing for them come on fess up
4: yeah
3: and it is probably not so much a guilty pleasure anymore because i'm not embarrassed of it i like big (laughs) monster movies (laughs) and i like weather systems and i really
1: really really love sharknado oh
3: my word i know they're cheesy i haven't
1: seen sharknado (gasps) is it sharks and tornadoes
3: it is, and it actually happened in Australia. There was a brief tornado, and it did pick up one shark and put it on a beach. So, no, you know, it it didn't. it's practically a documentary. No, it did? didn't.
1: <laughs> no, really? Yeah, it yeah. was
2: in the newspapers and everything. It was, was probably, only a little one.
1: <laughs> Considering I've got you two in front of me, and you are probably known for spinning tails, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to take that with a massive pinch of salt. I think
2: what Emma hasn't quite said there is that there isn't just one Sharknado film. There are five of them. No. Yes. What is it? Basically, just
1: five different sharks being dropped by five different tornadoes. No, the story
2: just
3: continues and gets more and more (laughs) ridiculous. I mean, you just—I mean, no one else in the house watches them when I watch them (laughs) because they're all too embarrassed. But I go do
2: the washing up. Yeah, life is too
3: serious to watch serious films all the time, and Sharknado is a lot of fun.
1: It's your escapism, (laughs) isn't it? it? Are you both the same when it comes to, to books? Do you like sort of books that that take you out of reality, or what sort of things do you two read?
2: A bit of both, really. I, I can. I like a, I like a bit of stark reality, but I also like fantasy and sci-fi and and sort of th- books that take you completely away from this world. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really don't mind.
3: I read anything and everything. <laughs> and at the moment, my friends have got me reading Riders by <gasps> Julie Cooper. No. So I started this on the bus <sighs> this morning. Um,
1: and we, were you flush-faced by the end, end of whew. the bus journey?
3: I, I don't know how I,
1: he's passed me by, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so anything and everything. Just make sure you keep them away from the kids, yeah. okay? Yeah. <laughs> That's probably a good idea. Uh, we'll be chatting more with John and Emma and finding out more music choices from them after the break. If you've got any questions for them uh, or you want to perhaps share some memories of favourite events at Litfest, we'd love to hear from you. One double six 177 or you can email studio at manxradio.com.
0: One Dental Clinic, sponsors of women today, offer convenient appointment times in the heart of Douglas so you can fit your dental care into your working day.
1: You are listening to Women Today, but we're on the Connister Rock as per usual on a Friday afternoon. Just gone twenty-four minutes past two, and uh, delighted to be joined by John and Emma Quirk, uh, the people who have created LitFest and are very much in the thick of it now because it's only two weeks away, isn't it, John?
2: It's, it's less than two weeks away. <gasps> yeah, because, because
1: it's Friday already, of <laughs> yeah, course. Yeah, it starts so, on
2: Tuesday, September twenty-fifth. So yeah,
1: so you seem to again add more and more days each year as well.
2: We, we've we've managed. We've we started in four days and we've expanded up to six. And I don't think we're going to go any wider than that. I think no. I think six days is enough. I think you've taken of <laughs> Although we, we have said that before.
1: <laughs> now, coming back then to, to how this all began from the point of view of how you two met, because it was quite far away from here, wasn't it? At, at the start, I did say, uh, I, I wanted to say that your Manx connection began in Dubai. That's good. <laughs> do you like, do no, like no, what I, like I did that. there? I like do you, you want to explain, John?
2: Yeah, I um, I wrote a book called The Manx Connection, back in it was published in 2007 I started doing the planning and the research back in 2004 and that involved trips to America to spent three weeks in America then I did a week in Dubai and South Africa and then three weeks in Australia and New Zealand and it was to visit all the Manx societies around the world to find out about why they still consider themselves Manx even people who are you know sort of fourth fifth generation American and Australian um, have these Manx societies and they they celebrate the Isle of Man and, and what it's like to be banks, and so it was part history of the of the banks that emigrated, and part sort of travel book as well, and um, I ended up in Dubai um, with Jill Costain and uh, staying with her who was pres- who she was president of the Manx Society in Dubai at the time, and um, on the Sunday that I got there, uh, Jill had something on so she said I can't really look after you today I can't show you around but I've got a f- I've got a friend who who can, so um, in Walk Demmer.
1: Uh, and what were you doing in Dubai, Emma? Um, I was
3: out there setting up a recruitment agency. I got recruited to go out and set up an agency. So um, myself and and Ryan, who was just over one at the time. He was just
2: under two and I yeah, when we so met. Was yeah, so just
3: over one, we went out and he, we went out there, just the two of us. And uh, yeah, Jill asked us to show John around. So I walked into Jill's house one morning <laughs> And, and uh, was John it... was sitting at the table in his
1: boxer shorts. Oh, hello! <laughs>
0: <laughs> having a, a breakfast, to, obviously. That's a way to
1: greet someone, John. It, it, it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and was it like a, a love story? Um, he was a bit mean, actually. <laughs> here we go.
3: You've he got was, to have drama in a good love
2: yeah, story. Here we go. Get this going. He
3: um, <laughs> so we took him out for the day to show him around, and uh, he he didn't buy my lunch. I had to buy my own lunch. How and rude! It just.
1: Had he put clothes of, on by this point, he had, That's yeah.
3: That's good. He had, but it kind of, I kind of thought, mm, OK, so he's not that much of a pushover. Let's see what we can happen.
2: And then I wouldn't give you any of the answers to the Manx quiz, would I?
3: Yeah, wouldn't. Even my blinking of eyes and fluttering of eyelids, not a single quiz answer came our way. Um, Ryan and I left Dubai. You went to South Africa. You came back from South Africa. Um, and you phoned me up from Heathrow or Gatwick?
2: Uh, Heathwell, I think it was
3: and said uh, my, I've got a flight in early um, do you know anyone anywhere in London that's good for breakfast and I said well to be honest loads of places but I'm in Norwich with my mum <laughs> I'll phone you back he said <laughs> <laughs> phones me back I'm on a train to Norwich do you know anywhere in Norwich that's oh, good for breakfast oh you
1: smoothie John I my oh, moments that was kind of it really yeah isn't it Coming back, though, an interesting point, the fact that you went to Dubai with such a young son, that must have been a big move for you, Emma, to do with, with a, a child of that age.
3: Yeah, I had the support of my family, um, so I always knew uh, they would help if, if I needed help.
1: Um, but I was young and foolish, and <laughs> I didn't consider any risks. <laughs> and so how then did you both come back to the Isle of Man? Did you have to convince Emma, John?
2: Well, we we spent sort of six months with me coming over here, uh, me going to London, sort of every sort of three or four weeks, and Emma came across the Isle of Man a couple of times. And after about six months, we sort of said, "Look, like, you know, this is expensive, so um, you know, if, what are we going to do?" So the, the the choice was for me to move to London or for Emma and Ryan to move to the Isle of Man, and and Emma decided she'd uh, she'd like to come and see what the Isle of Man was like properly, you know.
3: Yeah, John and had good friends and lovely family and. The
1: island's a nice place it kind of got under my skin really
2: it did yeah it did happen to some people
1: well it does because of course it meant you moving back as well because you'd in essence left so it no, was I,
2: I was i was living here at the time when i went across to do the research um so i was always based here i'd, I'd lived across for a few years um in my mid-20s and then came back when i was 26 so I, I was kind of based here anyway but i was kind of looking at where life might leave me and as it happens it led me back here and and uh and then Emma came in when Ryan came over and and then um we had a house in Hildesley Road. And uh, yeah. Yeah,
3: I and then we moved out of Douglas.
1: As then, lovely as Douglas. Then we ran the south of the bridge. We yeah. needed to go south. <laughs> Brave, bravest movie ever made. Well the climate's far better down there. <laughs> Well said. Uh, Speaking of houses in Hildersley Road, that is my other way of crowbarring in your next piece of music, John.
2: You've done this before,
1: haven't you? Let's let him introduce this one, because you introduced the last one.
3: Uh, So this is uh, Madness with Our House, because um, we live in a house. (laughs) Is that why, really? It's often
2: madness. No, I I, (laughs) madness from my childhood, and um, I love them. And I, I could have picked any sort of song to be on there. But Our House just seems to have a nice family feel to it, and the kids love it as well. Often sort of belting out in the back of the car.
1: So they'll be dancing around to this one.
2: If they should be at school.
1: Of course. (laughs) Of course, they'll be at school behaving and doing all sorts of educational things. But anyway, let's dedicate this to them. This is for Ryan and Gypsy May. This is Madness in Our House. That is madness, our house, as cho- chosen rather by my studio guests, John and Emma Quirk from LitFest fame, of course. Uh, we have had an email in, which uh, I can only assume is from your place of work, because it is from your place of work, Emma. Uh, and it is from Neil, who says, why do libraries still exist when we have Google and Emma Quirk? Good question, Neil, and Jane, and Steph.
3: Um Because libraries are more than just books. They are a place of community, they are a place of information, they are a place of knowledge. It's a library, and I will take them all to the Henry Bloom Noble Library one lunchtime for a little tour. (laughs) But libraries are more than just books, Neil.
1: It's true. It is, and the Andrew Bloom Noble Library is absolutely brilliant. And Jandans, so there's a huge shout out because what goes on down there is wonderful. And you often have events there as well, don't you? Which is sort of part of what you do at Litfest. Fest. Um, coming back to looking looking back at childhood and things then for both of you. Um, we're talking about you yeah, sort of you moving here and you obviously have family here as well. But Emma, you actually grew up in Surrey, didn't you? And I want to ask you about the fact you went to an all girls school. What was it like? Was it like Mallory Towers? <laughs> No, <laughs>
3: I wish. Um, I, my parents sent me to an all-girls school, thinking that that would be a good way to keep me on the straight and narrow. Um, and it didn't. It didn't did work. It? No. no, because we had a boys' school either side of our girls' school, so <laughs> it it really didn't work. Um, but it did mean that I didn't necessarily wear loads of makeup to school, like some of the co-ed schools do. Um, and I have lots of. We had a very strong headmistress. A very strong. Uh, female headmistress who instilled good skills in us I think.
1: You both actually because we, we do one of the questions we ask our, our guests when we, we're talking about putting these shows together is whether or not they have anyone in their lives that were particularly inspiring and you both mentioned some very strong women in your lives that had a big impact I mean you've, you've just mentioned obviously in school Emma but also family wise you had some quite strong women didn't you?
3: Yeah so um, my mum is a is a Fierce feminist, very fierce feminist. In fact, she's she gets very upset at the fact that I took uh, John's name when we got married, and she thinks I was frowned upon for I'm that. You have to tell us
1: your maiden name because it's beautiful.
3: Um, my my middle name, my mum's maiden name is Flowerdew, so I am Emma Flowerdew Quirk, um, and our daughter is Gypsy Mae Flowerdew Quirk. So we I have tried to acknowledge my mother in our naming, <laughs> um, but she's she's a a fierce feminist, always, um, and an environmentalist, and a lot of what I do is with her in mind. Would she be proud of that? Sometimes she is. Um, and my stepmom, who I, I moved in with my dad and stepmom when I was eleven, and she's just incredible. She's an amazing homemaker, cook, mother. You know, she is probably the person I phone first whenever I need advice, particularly to do with the children. And she's always there.
1: And John, you also mentioned um, several women in your life um, who've been uh, sort of had a big impact on you. But I really want you to tell the story for us about your nan and a bag of spuds.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I think I was about nine or ten, I think. And we ran a guest house at the top of uh, Derby Road. And um, this was sort of, yeah, sort of late 70s, early 80s. I mean, nan was a big battle axe of a woman, Irish woman. And um, she was in the kitchen one day and... She told me to go into the pantry and bring out the rest of the potatoes that were in the sack. So I walked into the pantry and my little boy arms couldn't shift the sack of potatoes at all and I went out back to her and said, Nana, I can't lift it. And she said, you can try again. So I went back and forth trying to lift this bag of potatoes and I couldn't. And in the end, I sort of went out, I was really in tears. I said, well, Nana, I can't do it. And she said, sort I of said, you can think about it. And I sort of looked around and I thought, what am I going to do? And I saw a pot, an empty pot. And something just twigged, so I picked the pot up, went in, filled the pot with potatoes, brought it out to her, and she said, nice. So I carried on doing that, and eventually all the potatoes were out at the sack and on the table ready for her to cook them. And uh, I sort of had a big smile on my face, and she said, see John, there's no such word as can't. And that is probably the one bit of advice that stuck with me all through my life.
1: Do you think you'd have achieved what you had, especially with LitFest, if you hadn't had that sort of grounding?
2: No, I don't think so. I don't think so I think because there were times early on particularly when we were trying to put Litfest together and it's a a mammoth undertaking Um, and you need so much coordination and you need a lot of team behind you Um, and yeah I think if there were times where I thought is it really can I really do this is it really sort of uh, worth it is it is it possible to do it and yeah I think the that kind of ethos stood me in good stead certainly for Litfest.
1: Which is just wonderful I love that story and you can tell that you're a writer John the way you, you say that uh, you're also both big fans of music uh, I know and, uh, and in fact you've combined uh, this, this various mediums mediums with this year's uh, program I'm really looking forward to for instance Zoe Gilbert Knight because you've got the bookshop band coming over yeah. too and you've got um, a literary inspired songwriting workshop too haven't you so obviously you know sort of music it, it sort of fits anyway doesn't it with this whole thing and there's all the link with fairy tales and everything as well but as as music fans, um, there's a particular song which we're going to hear now, which you've mentioned, which you only just discovered this band quite recently by the sound of things as a result of some very good friends <laughs> of yours. So uh, Emma, do you, want, do you want to tell us how you first heard about the Blue Tones?
3: So um, uh, our friends Pam and Rob, who are also part of the Lit Fest team, are... Um, uh, Pam's one of the Lit First directors and Rob is our quiz master extraordinaire. He writes he writes an incredibly difficult quiz for us. Um, they're massive Blue Tones fans. They go around the UK following them. They go to their gigs all the time and they bought uh, Mark Morris over here several times. So some of our best nights have been with the Blue Tones music.
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the first time we, I'd properly heard them was when uh, they they did, a, I think you, Mark was doing a crowdfunding for a new album mark morris the lead singer and uh pam and rob rather than going across to see them decided to pay for him t- to come over to the isle of man and he performed a, a private gig in their in the conservatory and we got invited to that and it was a f- and we listened to a lot of the music beforehand just to sort of you know to get sort of uh, find to out what it was homework. about do our homework yeah and um well, i fell in love with them that was brilliant and uh and we we've, we've We haven't stopped since.
1: So, this is Pam's favourite song. So, we're going to dedicate this to Pam. This is Blue Tones and Firefly. It's a beautiful tune, huge fan of the blue Zone, so I'm glad he managed to get Firefly on there. A uh, choice of my studio guests, we've got John and Emma Quirk with us. We've had an email in from Alison uh, about writing standards in schools, so it's this is this is a good one. This uh, Alison says, Given the great job the Manx Litfest team have done in the island's primary schools, do they have any suggestions as to how the standards of writing can be raised in them? Uh, with performance data now being published annually, it's apparent that some of our schools lack behind other parts of the UK. What would you? you two say to that. I know it's quite a big question that. It is a big question. Um it, it's not just down to the
3: schools. Uh, the schools play a big part, but writing has to come from families as well. Let's let's not be scared to admit that as parents sometimes we're challenged by having to help our children. Um I am rubbish at maths and my children know I'm rubbish at maths and yet we still sit around the table and have a go um and the same with storytelling let's let's not be scared as parents to sit down and try and write with our children
2: yeah I think I think a lot of it comes down to reading with kids when they're younger and stilling them, the, them a love a love of the story and a love of English and then and then following it through as Emma says uh, at home um
3: we use lots of audiobooks as well with our kids yeah. and always have done since they were toddlers um audiobooks are great in the car or you know d- people are really hung up on the written word people worry about literacy levels in reading and writing storytelling isn't just that storytelling is so much more it is it's about vocalizing the story it doesn't matter how you get those stories I keep saying the parents come to us quite a lot worried about their children not reading particularly boys it doesn't matter how they get the information or learn the language don't be scared to do it verbally, don't be scared that if they're using um, an iPhone to record a story by voice, that's fine.
1: Good advice there from Emma Quirk and John Quirk. Well, we have another two music choices from them up after the break. If you want to contribute to all to the show this afternoon, you can text one double seven or email studio at Manxradio.com.
4: Manx Radio, the nation
0: station. Abbey Dental, sponsors of women today for all aspects of today's dental care. Highly recommended throughout the Isle of Man.
1: And uh, we are on the Conister Rock into the final section of the show. It's gone so quickly uh, with John and Emma Quirk this afternoon, husband and wife team uh, behind LitFest, of course. And uh, I have to ask you, things have changed somewhat for you this year, haven't they? Your, your parental responsibilities as such and your daily life has had something of a switch around, hasn't it?
2: Y- y- yes, it has, yeah. Um, I went freelance writing back in March and at the start of February, Emma, who previously had been the sort of the uh the person working from home, looking after the kids, um, went back to work full time.
1: I did. I do work full time now. And
2: and she as she reminds me every single day. <laughs> how have you weekends. found
1: that? How how has it gone? Because first of all, Emma, how has it been for you to go back to work full time?
3: Um it I was really nervous. Really nervous at first. Um but I'm working for this amazing company who have been really supportive and in an industry that I didn't even really knew existed and I'm finding that I'm actually really enjoying the work but don't tell John.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and John what about you because you're now self-employed and also yeah. getting much more time to do your writing obviously as well but a big change for you because you were with not just uh, I and mean, advertising for a long time but before that the papers too yeah. with presumably you know structure to your days and so now being self-employed how have you adjusted?
2: Uh, it, we are going through a period of readjustment I think it's uh it's not easy um but it's it, it it's freed me up and it's uh, i'm in a much happier place now doing that um i'm finding a bit more time to f- do my own writing while trying to earn money as well um it's it, 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 <laughs> juggling everything with the kids it, it hasn't been easy but i knew it wasn't going to be easy i knew it was difficult and uh fortunately on three of the days the sort of the kids to have stuff after school so it's not a sort of pick up at half three type thing and um, so th- the kids activities are lending themselves very well to my and sort of wanting to find time to write.
1: And the kids themselves, I have to say, are I, I think you could class them pretty much as overachievers. Those two children do so many different things. It's brilliant. I love the fact that you described Gypsy May as a whirlwind of chaos. And of course you had uh, Ryan just this weekend who uh, had his big screen debut at the Isle Man Film Festival in the superb Invaders song. Just excellent. And actually, uh, Ryan leads us in quite nicely to your next piece of music. Tell us about Billy Elliot.
2: <laughs> we went. We went to see Billy Elliot quite early on in our relationship, mm-hmm. did we? Yeah. Um, and Emma, Emma persuaded me to go and see it. Um, I don't mind musicals. I haven't got anything against musicals at all. But I found, that, but I loved the film. and I didn't really know how they were going to do a musical of it. And I'm also not very keen on Elton John music either. So I kind of went uh, under duress. Um, but I loved it. That it was absolutely brilliant. Blew me away in the, in the West End. And th- this song in particular, we liked. And then. Ryan was must have been sort of five at the time, and we had it on in the car, the soundtrack, and um, I don't know if we turned it down for some reason or whatever, or it went to a particularly quiet part, and we heard Ryan singing in the back of the car, and at that point, it was our first inkling that, you know, he might have, he might like a sort of, you know, a, a career on the stage or singing or acting or something like that, and so it's kind of stuck with us since then. And he
1: has been doing very well so far and we wish him all the best in his future endeavours too. So here is uh, just a short extract from Billy Elliot's Electricity.
3: Can I just ask you, Billy,
4: what does it feel like when you're dancing? I can't really explain it. I haven't got the words. It's a feeling that you can't control I suppose it's like forgetting losing who you are but at the same time something makes you whole It's like that there's music playing in your ear and I'm listening and I'm listening and then I disappear and then I feel a change like a fire deep inside, something burst in me, wide open, impossible to hide. And suddenly I'm flying, flying like a bird, like electricity, electricity sparks inside of me, and I'm free.
1: Wonderful. We are going to have to pull it's it out, out fairly soon because we've still got another song choice to get in from John and Emma Quirk and we don't want to miss the final one. Um, just a couple of things that I want to ask you at the end. Uh, first of you, one of you loves crochet. I'm guessing it's not John. <laughs> <laughs> he likes the blankets he gets to sit under. Oh yeah, yeah they're nice. Oh, nice. So you do spend a lot of time being creative then, Emma, which is, is nice to know. Uh, also, I love that you said in the information that you sent through, I mean, you said this island is full to the brim with people who are passionate enough to volunteer to make things happen. And LitFest is just perfect proof of that, isn't it?
3: Yeah, it's uh, um, this island is full of people that are making their island somewhere they want to live. And that's what I love so much about this, this island. And um Litfest is just one part of that we've got um y- you know a a committee who aren't really a committee anymore they're friends they are Very good friends. they are our
1: bestest friends and we work together to put Litfest on
2: yeah and yeah. they
1: have a bit of a say don't they or or at least contribute into sort of what you're going to do oh, each uh, year absolutely yeah,
2: yeah. They, they they drive it just as much as we do definitely um more
1: so actually <laughs> more I, more I haven't so. been to many meetings this year
2: no you haven't have you cuz i work full time, time now yeah <laughs>
1: So when you are looking at how to put the schedule together, um, are there sort of... Have, have you always got people that you know you want to try for each year? Are there those sort of ultimate guests still that you're thinking, oh, really want this person? And how do you convince them to come? Because you have some really big names at Litfest every year.
2: It's a bit of a... There are certain authors who and poets and, and storytellers who sometimes we just go to them once and say, do you want to come? And they say, yeah, and we think, fantastic. There's other ones who have turned us down two or three times because the bit of schedule is very busy but we finally get them you know chris riddell is, is an example oh, we, we asked him twice side when side. he was um uh, children's laureate and his team came back and said really sorry but he's just you know he can't fit you in so we went back again this year after he finished being children's laureate and they've uh, they agreed to him coming over um, which is fantastic so we we always have a a kind of hit list and Sometimes they come off sometimes they don't, because um, there's a lot of festivals around the UK around the British Isles and further afield, and um, they're always in in hot demand authors. So we have a little hit list each year, and we kind of refine that after each festival because uh, we've always read new authors uh, over the previous few months, and then we uh, sort of uh, we make our approaches and see who we get.
1: Well this year is uh, just a perfect example again of how you do manage to get a a wonderful array of writers and performers and speakers and the workshops and everything as well. So you just go to manxlitfest.com to find out all about what is going on. It's on in uh, under two weeks so uh, do check that out. Uh, I'm just going to mention that uh, when I asked what the talents were, John said that Emma is the opposite of sat-nav and always gets us lost going out for walks which I absolutely love. But let's come to uh, your final song because we're only going to manage a little bit of it but uh, it is a paul weller and it has a lovely link to your father doesn't it emma
3: yeah so this was um our first dance at our wedding we did want an elvis number but dad couldn't sing elvis very well um but he could sing paul weller so he he my dad sang this and um my uh Stepsisters, father Peter Hughes played the guitar for it, and and we danced to it with suede really.
2: Sweat, yeah. I'd never class anything I do as dancing.
1: <laughs> well, it's been an absolute joy chatting to you both this afternoon. Thank you so much for being with us. All the best for Manx Lit Fest, and uh, yeah, we'll no doubt see you same time next year. But uh, I will see you at the events very much. So John and Emma Quirk, thank you. Thank,
3: thank
4: you Christine. for having us. Love I'll never
1: find.
0: Abbey Dental, sponsors of women today for all aspects of today's dental care. Highly recommended throughout the Isle of